Once again, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, first of all, that today is our day. Uh, we are receiving an offering. You can do it online. You can do it by text. We're receiving a, an offering for our missionaries, uh, as we always do at this time of year, for a Christmas bonus for our missionaries. So if you're here and you say, I, you know, I came prepared for that, but you don't, uh, you're given by tax or debit or credit card, you want a tax receipt uh, for that, you can raise your hand and the ushers will get you an envelope. Ushers, I know you weren't maybe prepared, but be watching. Anybody who needs an offering for our missionary offering and... Um, online. You can go on. Text number that was up there. You can do that uh, and give. Uh, you all are always so generous to our missionaries. This year has been a crazy uh, year for everyone, but for them, uh, uh, Seth and Shelley are in Croatia and have been there through the whole uh, thing. Deidre was there, came home. Now she can't get back. Um, uh, Tony has been here, and so they've been doing all kinds of innovative things with online school, different things like that. And so uh, anyway, so they're still relying upon support as they continue to endeavor to do that. And so you've been a great blessing year after year. And so we want to continue to do that. One of the ways we prepare for the greatest year we ever have, uh, you can either clear out coats and give, and then you get a new coat, or you can give some, and then God gives, and it creates a, a, a supernatural flow. So we appreciate that. Tomorrow night, we're having prayer right here uh, in the sanctuary corporate prayer. We've been having uh, prayer for a number of weeks, and we'll continue to do that. Some people have asked me, are we going to do 21 days of prayer starting January 1st? And uh, if you uh, are so inclined, go ahead and do that. Uh, we'll give an official uh, how many days we'll do prayer. I, I know we'll do some. Right now, we're doing Monday night corporately, and uh, we'll just let you know so we can all, all be together, uh, but I don't really have a specific on that right now, and some of these things we can just do because we've done them, and uh, I generally like to pray and say, let's do it, not just because we've done it, but because it's the right thing to do right now. So, uh, praise the Lord. And then, did I have something else? Oh, Christmas Eve, praise the Lord. Thursday night, 4 and 5.30. And so um, we'll be either in person or you can watch online. And so a lot of people have had questions. Certainly we have limited uh, capacity compared to what we normally do on Christmas Eve. And so we want you to move with your, your own discretion, your own heart. We want to be very... Um, thoughtful of each and every person, as we always are and always uh, should be, really walking in love. And, uh, you know, I told this to the first service. It just came up in my heart as I was praying this morning uh, prior to service. Um, just, you know, so we're all on the same page, always uh, agreeing and walking in faith. But, uh, you know, just in case, I, I trust that there's nobody here who, who really thinks this way. But we're, we're not coming together on Sunday to prove that we can Right? We're not coming, putting our fists down to say, look, we can do this. You can't tell us what to do. We come together on Sunday to worship Jesus. <laughs> and so, you know, the world tries to force us into some kind of a box. And so then we get awkward even with each other and all that. We're coming to worship God, which means we're coming to show love and express love to one another, consideration to one another, wherever people are, whatever uh, their situation is. And so it'll be the same Christmas Eve. We're coming to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And so uh, we're observing some things just to keep everybody safe, and other people will observe what they are. Uh, uh, and uh, we want to be considerate and loving. Uh, we're not here to prove any other point. Uh, we're here to worship Jesus. And so 
Uh, it's Christmas, as Tasha said. Uh, some of the atmosphere is different. Some of the pressures are different. We're worshiping and celebrating the birth of the same Savior, the same King, the same Lord, and the same Master. Amen? Amen. And so, uh, praise the Lord. Glory to God. And we get to praise Him. We get to sing. And the Bible says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And the world's just trying to pack stuff on, make it heavy. The way you get released from that is you praise. The Bible says he's enthroned on the praises of his people. And so when we praise him, it's really acknowledgement that he is Lord of our life. When we remember his goodness that, that's running after us, uh, the devil hates that. I mean, if you really want to make the devil mad because he's putting pressure on you and, and things aren't happening right, just start praising right in the middle of it. Right? He's incredibly used to the example that he puts pressure and we're like, oh, God, why is this happening to me of all people? Why me? And Oh, no. And God, if you're real, this shouldn't be happening. And if you're with me, this shouldn't be happening. The devil's used to that. He gains advantage. He rides on that kind of stuff. He's actually enthroned on that kind of complaining, and he just keeps working it. But the moment he comes and pressures us in some way or creates a, a difficult situation, a bad situation, even a tragic situation in our life, and we throw up our hands and we're like, thank you, Jesus, for redeeming my life. The devil's like knocked off balance. He's expecting you to go, oh, why God? Why God? Not praise you, God. You're great and mighty. You're worthy of praise. And all of a sudden, God jumps on that praise and starts to change situations. He'll turn it around in the midst of your praise. So it's not a good time. I'm just telling you, all are looking at me like, I don't know, I have to look and see if my zipper's down. That's, uh, come on, now we live in a time right now, I'm just trying to pass you and encourage you. If you're not careful, you'll start finding yourself walk around, your countenance will have fallen, all this stuff that's going on. Man, it's a time for the church to throw their, their, their shoulders back, have a pep to their step, a glide to their stride, praise on their lips, rejoicing in their heart, because Jesus is Lord. And that's a fact, right? There's a lot of misinformation out there, but that's something that's not misinformation. Jesus is Lord. Amen? And so we might as well just throw all that other stuff aside that we don't know whether it's true or not true. We know this, Jesus is Lord. He died and he raised from the dead. And we, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, listen, there's not anything that he can't do when somebody will put their trust and belief in him. Amen? And what he wants to do is he wants to finish what he started. And so we started, you know, in, in November, we started talking about uh, how faithful God is. We just entitled our, our, our series, Faithful. We've talked about the faithfulness of God. And a couple of weeks ago, starting in December, uh, if you've been here, you'd know this, but uh, I was praying about, you know, God, do you, do you want to do something that ties with Christmas a lot, do a Christmas message? We've done that before, shared about gifts in our life and stuff. It's really good at Christmas. But all I kept getting rolling over and over and over in me is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. That he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. The day you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, he started something, and he, have, he has every intention of finishing what he started. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't try to stop that. It doesn't mean that you won't want to quit somewhere. But thank God, he's not a God who gets weary. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't faint, and he never, ever quits. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And he's the author and the finisher of your faith. 
He's the author and the finish of your faith. And he has a plan to build an extraordinary life in you. An extraordinary life for you. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. The the amazing thing that no matter what goes on in the world, that there should be something distinctively different about you, something different about me, something different about this place when we come together. And when the storms of life are blowing and who knows what they look like and what damage they've ravaged in a different place, we should look like that, that, that... couple of houses in the middle of a tornado that the storm blows and you just wonder you're just you're baffled when you look at the pictures it's like this house blew down and this house blew down and this house was standing and this house blew down and this house is standing what in the world happened when that tornado came through and how did those two houses remain standing when a tornado it might be happenstance but when you are built on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Storms will come. People all around us may be blown over, blown off course, knocked down, uh, suffering because of what happened. But a Christian's life is to be standing in the midst of it. 100% whole. A safe place for people whose lives have been blown over to interact with our lives and start to receive hope once again and faith and strength once again to build their life upon. We're more than just existing here. We're more than just another human being trying to navigate the challenges of life, but we've been born again of the Spirit of God. And what he started that day, he plans on finishing it. I don't care if you're 60, 70, or 80. He's still working to finish what he started in you. I don't care if you're 10 or 12 or 15. He's still going to work to finish what he started in you. You say, well, what in the world did he start? He broke the power of sin and everything in you that sin did that makes you not look like what he created. Right? God created you to look a certain way, and that was to be like him. He created us in his likeness and his image. And sin destroyed that image of who we were created to be, and we didn't look at all like God. And Jesus came back to restore that. In the New Testament, it says he's begun a work of transformation that we no longer look like the person that sin had ravaged and damaged and tried to destroy and to break down and to break our hearts and to break our lives apart. And I understand it, so please don't think that I'm being hard on anybody. I mean, I understand wounds. I understand tragedy. I understand loss. I understand brokenness. But listen, that's what the enemy wants you to look like. If we walk around and our testimony is how many times we've been broken in life and how many times our life has been shattered and destroyed and, and brought to pieces and somehow we, make, we think that's awesome, he doesn't want that. That's, that doesn't look like him. That looks like what the enemy wants you to look like, broken and ravaged, uh, hurt and wounded and in unforgiveness. And God says, I have something that will heal every wound, bind up all brokenness, restore everything that the enemy has stolen. I want your life to lack no good thing. I want to build a life for you and build a life with you that is extraordinary. It's an abundant life. It's an overflow of life. It's a life that is established on a foundation that cannot be shaken so that when everything that can be shaken will be shaken there will be some lives that remain and they're strong why because they're built on the unshakable foundation of Jesus Christ being Lord 
Come on. The Message Bible says it like this, or not the Message, the Passion Translation. Says it like this. Now may the God of peace himself, well, that's not the one I want. I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this glorious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you and will put his finishing touches to it until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Until the unveiling. So many translations talk about the coming of Jesus and I know he's going to continue to work in us until Jesus comes back, if he comes back in our lifetime. But I believe there's a, a section to this that I said last week, if you were here and watching or listening, but I believe there's an unveiling of our lives, that when God has done this work in us, as God is working out with us our salvation, as he's working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure, that that which he started, he plans on completing it. And when he completes it, he is going to unveil the new you and I in completeness. They are gonna, when, it, when it's all unveiled, when that unveiling takes place, it's like, wow, who are you? You look like Jesus. There's a place in our life, there's a place in our innermost being that already looks like him, that somebody introduced to that would say, wow, if he would do that in you, he would do that in me. There's a testimony that God wants to create in each and every one of us that is a testimony that God took my old life and he did away with it and he built this brand new life, this extraordinary life. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. And I believe that this year coming up is a, a year of change, of transformation. It's a year to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to make changes. I'm ready to make adjustments. I'm ready, God, to become more like Jesus than I ever have in my life before. And not because it's going to be a struggle for you. Not because you need to change because people think you're so bad. No, why would we do that? Because God is fixing, that's an old colloquial expression, God is fixing to do something big for a lost and a dying world. We have our struggles, we have our confusion, but we know Jesus. There are people out there right now that are scared to death about their future because they don't know Jesus. They're not only scared about their future, they have no idea about their eternity and what about eternity or anything about eternity. They're scared to death and they need to see somebody whose life is stable, somebody where perfect love has cast out all fear because fear has torment, somebody who has a confidence in Jesus and everything that he's done, somebody who's built their life on the faith of Jesus Christ so that those who are dying and otherwise would go to hell could see a life that says, that's how I want to live for eternity, in him and with him, by him and for him. We don't desire change simply because we need to get better. We desire change because there's people who need to see a reflection of Jesus Christ in a human life so they have hope of eternity. If the church doesn't live any different or any more triumphant or any more with any more victory over the circumstance of the world, why is anybody in the world going to look to the church for hope? But when they see believers weathering the storm, standing up, throwing their shoulders back, making it through their marriage when it's tough, raising their children in the nursery and the admonition of the Lord, prospering God, according to God's financial plan, staying confident and well-focused with a well-disciplined mind in times that otherwise would just make you crazy. 
Come on, listen. God's saying, listen, I've given you not a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Some of us all need to get back to a sound mind. Get off of the news and get a sound mind. The news of the day will drive you crazy. If you just keep listening to it every single day, it'll mess you up. So, well, I think we should stay informed. Informed, but not transformed or conformed. If you get too informed with the world, you'll be conformed to this world. But it's actually time to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word of God. You can't spend more time listening to the news than you do in the Word and expect to be transformed by the Word and not conformed by the news. I went over big. So God's doing a work. He'll finish it. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In 1 Thessalonians, listen to this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Everybody say completely. completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. There it again. He's faithful to do what he promised to do, not only in you, but for you and through you. The Passion Translation says it like this. Now, now may the God of peace and harmony set you apart, making you completely holy. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body be kept completely flawless in the appearing of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. The one who calls you by the name is... <laughs> Excuse me. The one who calls you by name is trustworthy. Everybody say trustworthy. He's trustworthy and will thoroughly complete his work in you. The Message Bible says it like this. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. And keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. He wants to begin a work in each and every one of us. Transforming us, changing us. Because the year that we're going into will have all kinds of different things in it. I don't know if you know this or not, but we are not going back to normal. Nor should you want to go back to normal. God's not a backwards-moving God. He's moving us forward into the year to come. And 2021 will have its challenges in it. It will have its things to praise. It will have its things to look and say, that was awesome. It will have its challenges that will say, why in the world is this going on? But Jesus is faithful to continue to work in us, to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he said, the work that I'm working in you what I need is a little bit of cooperation, that if you will work out your own salvation, if you will carry out the details of your salvation, I will continue to work in you until it's completely complete and absolutely whole. And so I just want to clarify this before we get into what we're going to talk about today, and that is, if you've been listening, and certainly I've used different analogies, if you've been listening and think, well, uh, my Christian life is just... I've I, I built an addition onto my old life. 
you're wrong. That will mess you up. If Christianity for you has been a building of an addition onto your old life, it won't work. And you found out it won't work. I'm trying to live for Jesus, but still trying to live with all the hurts and the wounds in the way, same way and the same philosophy that I used to before Christ. It doesn't work. It's like a brand new room that I go into every now and then, but I'm living out off of this old foundation of my life. But Jesus is the one that came in and he said, listen, I am the architect of the brand new life, and I'm also the developer. And so what did he do? He purchased the dirt. You were made of dust. And by his blood, he purchased the dirt. And just like a developer comes in and, and purchases some land and he says, you know what, I want to I build something brand new here. And lots of times people don't like it, but if he's building something good, eventually we'll go, wow, that's better than that same old thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can just drive down Grand Avenue. And just east of Vicki Lee Greens, there used to be all those buildings. If you've lived here for any length of time, they've been there like ever since I've lived here, they've, they've been there. And now there's a hole in the ground. Because somebody purchased that land and is developing something different. They didn't want the same old stuff there. They didn't want the same old things going on that had been going on. They wanted to bring out something new. And Jesus said, listen, I'm the architect. I have plans for this brand new life that is amazing and it's wonderful. And I'm also the developer. And I just want you to know, I didn't purchase the building that is your old life. I purchased the dirt I purchased the human existence, but right away, we pulled out the old. We broke the power of sin, and we said, you got to get the old out, and I'm going to put a brand new spirit in you, and we're going to start with that spirit. We're going to start with that blueprint, and we're going to imprint it there, and then we're going to start by demoing the old life. The old man has to go. We have to demo it. we got to put it in the dump trucks. we got to haul it off and leave it where it belongs, far from here. Demo day. We talked about that. We don't have time to go back into demo day. If you didn't hear that, you can get it online. Demo day. It's time to demo. How is it that when we watch somebody doing that for a house or blowing up a building? I know years ago, uh, Natasha's stepdad worked for this company in Las Vegas, and we, we went to Las Vegas specifically to watch them blow this old casino building, uh, actually implode it. The old stardust. I mean, it was, we just sat there and we watched it, and it was pretty amazing when you, when you watch how, you know, they, they did it, and we're there, and they set off fireworks. It's a big deal. They got lights, and all of a sudden, you just hear this, and it just goes, man, when that went down, we were all like, woo, and then all of a sudden, this huge cloud of concrete dust started coming at everybody, and all of a sudden, people are like, woo, and then they start running the other direction. <laughs> and listen, when God implodes your old man and goes, then everybody who's watching, when the dust of that starts to go, they start running the other direction. Because the power of God's in that cloud that's moving everything out. And they cleaned all that stuff up, and they started with a brand new foundation, and built a brand new extravagant casino. Well, God's not building a casino in your life. That was probably a little weak uh, analogy there. But <laughs> there will be no gambling in this new life. God has it set. 
Your new life is not a gamble. Uh, <laughs> make you think about it. But come on now. But see, we just think, you know what, I'm going to keep some of my old life and my Christian life's going to be an addition. God's not in the addition, remodel. He's in the redevelopment, rebuilding. So we have demo day and then we have cleanup day. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that washes us clean. Totally clean. I mean, if somebody comes through town and sees that, they're going to they're have to ask, what was there? What kind of building was there in the past? Was that not a very good building? Was it not stable? Was it condemned? Was it, was it, did it have a faulty foundation? What was there? Why did they have to ask that? Because it's not there anymore. Wouldn't it be nice when people who used to know you passed by your life and said, where did all that go? How nice when people enter into your life that God puts you in their life and they have no idea what your past used to look like. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Why? Because God totally took that away. He builds something new. And so you start building with the foundation. We talked about this last week. You build on the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And building on that foundation is so important. And as we look at building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you know, sometimes when we get into faith, we're, we're moving through all these different dimensions of faith. And even now we're asking questions about how do we operate in faith with everything that is going on? What does that mean? And let me just tell you this one thing. Wisdom and faith actually go together. They don't contradict one another. <laughs> Some people are like, I think this is wisdom, but is it faith? If it's true godly wisdom, it's faith. Sometimes you have wisdom and you're like, oh, I don't know. Does that, what's everybody going to think? Maybe it's not faith. No, wisdom and faith go hand in hand. So we build our house from a foundation of the wisdom of God, which is his word gives us wisdom. And we believe that his word is true every single time. And we have that conviction of the truthfulness of God and his word and everything that Jesus did for us. And we're convinced you can't change our mind about it. I am fully persuaded that what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection, he did it for me. And it's established in my life. My sin is forgiven. The guilt and shame have to be washed away. And he started something brand new in me. And he's not finished with me yet. Somebody say, God's not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you. As far as you think you've come, he's not finished you, with you. If you say, well, I'm just not good for much of anything, he's not finished with you yet. Amen. Thursday, we'll celebrate Christmas Eve, Friday, Christmas, how Jesus came into the earth. And when Jesus came into the earth, he didn't come into a castle. He didn't come into a, a palace. He came into a barnyard. Come on. When you celebrate Christmas, just remember, when he came into your life, he didn't come into a palace. He most likely came into a barnyard. There was some stinky stuff. There were some donkeys. Come on. He came into some stuff in your life. He came into some mindsets, some ideology, some beliefs. But you ask him to come in and he moved in. But guess what? By the time he's done, he has recreated and made you a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. If we let him move in and we let him 
complete what he started. We work together with him in building this great life. We put down the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever you've said, you'll do it for me. And it's absolutely true. Every promise of God has its yes and its so be it. And if the old man has passed away, I look forward to the new man coming to life. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 2, Peter says this. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things. Everybody say all things. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Listen, he didn't say, you know, I'm going to give you a few promises. They're not that much, but hope you get by. He said, I'm, I've made exceedingly great and precious promises, and through these promises, you will partake of the divine nature. You should highlight that, underline that. Every time your old nature tries to rise up, say, I am not partaking of the old sinful nature. That is not God's promise. His promise is that I partake of his very divine nature. What will that do for you? It'll help you escape the corruption that is in the world through evil desires. Verse 5, he says, but also for this very reason. What reason? That Jesus gave you, gave you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He gave you exceeding great and precious promises. He put his divine nature on the inside of you so that you could escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. He said, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. For the sake of our example, he says, listen, if you've already poured the foundation of faith, now it's time to build or to frame your new life with these things. Again, we've said this in the last few weeks, but I want you to be thinking about it. What materials have you built your life on to date? What materials have you built your marriage on to date? What materials have you as a parent built your children's life on to date? What have you built your calling on to date? What materials have you built on? Have you built your marriage on brokenness? Have you built your marriage on resentment of, of things that have happened? Or are you building your marriage on faith in Jesus Christ and the word of God pertaining to marriage? Husbands, have you built your marriage on loving your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it? Wives, have you built your marriage on respecting your husband and the call that God put on his life? Have you loved your husband? Well, no, he's a jerk. Well, see, you're building your marriage with the wrong material. Well, no, why should I love her like Christ loves the church? She's not really respecting me. She's not doing it. You're not building your marriage with the material that God gave you. You're building, you're trying to build a marriage with selfishness. I'll do it when they do it. I'll act right when they act right. It's all faulty material. It'll never stand in the midst of a storm. It'll never withstand the attack of the enemy on God's institution of marriage. If you built your life to where it is today by protecting yourself and being defensive 
You've allowed bitterness to take hold of your life. It'll never stand the test of time. But if we'll start framing up our life and pour the foundation of faith and framing our life with these materials that he's about to tell us that we should frame our life with. He said, for this very reason, build on your faith or add to your faith virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, love. Listen to why we do this. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he just say? He said, everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness is accessed through the knowledge of him. He says, if these things, you, you, you put these things into practice, you will know him without flaw. So in other words, he ties it together that putting these things in your life will cause you to know him, which will cause you to access everything that you need for life and godliness. People are like saying, well, I hear you say about that. Well, where is it? Why don't I have it? Where is it, is it in my life? Well, if you don't know him, you can't access what you need. So he's given us the key to that. Verse 9, he says, but he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. In other words, this person does not have vision for their future. This person continually looks back to what has happened to them in the past. A person that does not frame their life with these materials will lack knowledge of God, and they will, lack, they will be short-sighted about their life. The moment they think, ah, oh, I see the future, it'll only go to next day. Well, if it didn't happen today, if I prayed today and it didn't happen today, well, I'll just go back to my old life. I guess God's not real. He said, no, there's something in building this way that gives you true vision for the future because you see the one who has the future in his hands. He says he's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. It's like the children of Israel. They forgot to look at God. They kept saying, would to God I was back in Egypt. Would to God I was back in Egypt. Why did they get out of Egypt? Because they didn't like Egypt. How can you like something so badly or dislike something so badly that you cry out to God and when God finally delivers you, you want to go back? Because on the way to the promise, it didn't look like you thought it would, so you said, well, let's go back to sin rather than move ahead to the promise. Listen, there's promises out there for your life right now that you might be in the wilderness, but don't go back to sin just because your transition doesn't look that great. Because God has something really big in his promise for you. I need to keep moving. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, highlight this, underline this, mark this down. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Somebody say, never stumble. stumble. Say it again, never stumble. stumble. Say, God's not finished with me yet. I'm fixing to never stumble. Come on, that'll rack your religious brain right now. While you're listening to it, you're reading over it, you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. We all stumble. We all stumble. Why make an excuse for stumbling when he said there's a way to build your life that you will never stumble? I don't know about you, but I'm sick of stumbling around through life. I'm ready to never stumble. I'm ready to know where something is and move around it. I don't want Jesus to be my stumbling block. I want him to be my cornerstone. So let's go back just a moment. Let's go over these real quick. You all ready? you rather go over these things or go home? That's loaded. I'm not letting you go home anyway. The doors are locked. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right, listen to this. First thing he says is add virtue. 
To add to your faith virtue, the very first thing after you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he forgave my sin, my wrongdoing, the very first thing that I have to add to that is virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is moral excellence. He said, once you know that sin and the power of sin has been broken over your life, why would you return to sin again? And you will return to sin unless you add virtue to your life. What is virtue? More, what does moral mean? Moral means knowing the difference between right and wrong. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. Why do we build on the foundation of faith? Because God got it right. God is right. Now listen, virtue is so important because virtue is what threw the whole world into sin. The lack of virtue, excuse me. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't about knowing evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tree that God said, I said it's wrong to eat of that tree. And you went to it to decide whether you knew better than I did. The knowledge of good and evil. Where our moral virtue breaks down is when we look at something that is wrong, God says it's wrong, and we go, you know, God, I don't think it's that wrong. And we live our life actually denying that what God said is sin is actually sin. And you have to understand there's an entrapment of the enemy in that because if God says it's sin, it is sin. And if we say it's not sin for me, God, I, 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 I'm, I'm doing just fine with it. He says, no, you're not doing fine. You've been deceived. And if you want to build a life that will withstand every other thing, you have got to add this moral excellence to your life. You've got to bring it in. Now listen to this. Again, I'm trying to give you some whys we do that. I've fallen behind. I'm going to have to run real quick here. But here's what Proverbs chapter 2 says, and if you just go to Proverbs and read it, you'll think a, a, a father is telling his uh, son to stay away from prostitution. And you can read it in a couple of different places in Proverbs as he warms him, but it's really the Lord, our Father, telling us to stay away from the world that will seduce us into sin. And this is why, listen, it says, he, he ta he's talking about righteousness and wisdom before all this. And he says, the reason that you have, you're going to walk in righteousness and wisdom is to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her will return, nor do they regain the paths of life. See, immorality, the whole idea of the immoral idea of life, doing opposite of what God said, is to lead you to death. Why would we want virtue in our life? Because it leads to life. It is an offspring of the righteousness of God that comes that if we're in right standing with God through the blood of Jesus, the very character and nature causes us to live right and to live above and conquering over the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that our sin has brought into our life. And the destruction that goes with it. Scientists and psychologists have continually gone over and proven that every self-destructive behavior comes from shame.
somewhere down deep, drugs, alcoholism, messing up every relationship that comes your way, comes out of something that came from shame. You say, well, I don't know what I'm ashamed of. No, it's the actual root of sin that is working self-destructive. But Jesus was manifest to do what? To destroy the works of the enemy. Who, what are the works of the enemy? He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The immorality that surrounds us comes to destroy our life. He says, add, first of all, if you know you're forgiven from your sin, add virtue. The discernment of what's right and wrong and walk in what's right. And it'll lend a power to your life that is so extraordinary. Matthew chapter 5, the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus is walking down the road and she comes out. She says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. And she touches his garment. Jesus stops dead in his tracks with a crowd around him. He says, who touched me? They said, what do you mean, who touched you? There's people all over. He said, no, virtue went out of me. Righteousness went out of me. What was right for that woman flowed right out of me. It was not right that she be sick, and healing flowed out of me. Why? Because it's what's right. If we'll walk in virtue, there will be a powder keg of miraculous things in your life and in my life. Secondly, he said, add to this knowledge. Knowledge, he's just talking about gaining insight in your brain, in your knowledge. Knowledge of God. Come on, church, going into 2021, we need to study the word of God like we never have before. Get a daily time where you're reading the Bible, getting a knowledge of God, what Jesus has done for you, what redemption has done for you. You need to know it because F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth said this in his book, Christ the Healer, faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what God's will is, you can't put faith in it. Subsequent to that, he said, the power of God can only be claimed where the will of God is known. Hosea chapter 4, six, verse 6 says, My people perish for a lack of knowledge. We don't want to perish. It's not God's will that we perish. He's given us the information to have everlasting, abundant life, but we have to know it, to have faith in it, to draw from it. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this. He says that they are alienated from God, from the ignorance that is in them and the blindness of their mind. Lack of knowledge, ignorance keeps us alienated from God. Peter said this. Peter said, do not return to the former lusts that you used to walk in because of your ignorance. He said, if we're ignorance of the knowledge of God, we'll return to the former lusts that we began in. In other words, without knowledge, you'll backslide. He says that right here. You'll go back. You'll be short-sighted even to blindness. So when we all of a sudden know we have faith in Jesus Christ and we add virtue, the knowledge of what's right and wrong, and we know him and we know what he's done, we're not worried about what's right and wrong because we're pursuing everything that he's purchased for us by his blood. He says we go beyond that, and beyond that we have self-control. Once we know what he's done for us, we begin to have self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Romans chapter 5 says that if we receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we will reign in life. It's time that we as believers start reigning over life. We stop giving place to the temptations and the sin and the things that try to easily beset us and ensnare us in our life, and we take control and we say, no, that's not right, and I won't do it. Why? Because I love God too much. 
I have a vision. The faith that I have in Jesus gave me a vision that my life is better than it was under sin. And without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, people cast off restraint. But when we have faith in God and a vision, we utilize self-control to stay on the course to accomplish the very vision that he put in our life, to come to the point that we look more like him. And we throw off the sin and the weight, which always besets us from running our race. He said, add to your knowledge perseverance. Perseverance. Come on, this is not a sprint. This is a lifetime. And God said, I'll stick with you to finish it to the end. Whatever I started, I will finish in you. He said, I just need you to stay with me till the end. I need you to stay with me and build your marriage, build your family, build your life, build on your calling and the gifts in your life. I need you to stay with it. Don't just be a good starter. Be a good finisher. I can just tell you through 34 and a half years of marriage, I can't speak for Tasha. She might have wished she quit a long time ago. I don't know. I'm just speaking for me. That there's been times we could have quit. I know it doesn't seem like we're so sweet. Uh, but the enemy attacks every single marriage. And there's been times that we could have quit. Throwing up our hands. I'm just telling you. I'm glad we didn't. To see what God has done, to be here together to celebrate what God has done, not only here but in our lives, to celebrate our grandson, to celebrate our daughters, what God's doing in their lives with hiccups, with stumbles, with them doing this and them doing that, us doing this, us doing that, to persevere, to get through those difficulties to where we are today and say, whoo, we've made it 34 and a half years. We're going to make it 34 and a half more. It isn't because it was perfect. Some of it was so hard you wanted to quit, but something on the inside, we decided to build our life and say, this is for the long haul. We're going to make it through to the end. We're going to persevere. It's the same with life with God. To say, I've been born again for this many years, and it's getting better and better because I'm giving my life to God. It's not getting worse and worse. I'm sticking with it because if I don't, I'll regret it. I won't get to see what God had planned. There's things in our life that if we would have quit, we never would have saw come to pass. And you don't know that until you get through them and you get to the other side and you're like, whoo, we're here. We made it. Aren't we glad we didn't quit back there? We never would have seen this. You have to have confidence that God planned something amazing for you. And this is worth going through to get to that. Well, how, Pastor, how do I ever get to that point? you have a foundation of faith that if he said it, he's well able to perform it. And he's performing it right now. The enemy's just trying to stop you. And you have to have the perseverance and the endurance. And once we endure, once we stay with it, we come out the other side complete and entire, lacking no good thing. We have need of endurance so that after we've done the will of God, we might receive the promise. The promise is on the other side of whatever your struggle is. And so persevere. Add to perseverance, godliness. Just very simply. I'm moving quickly. Very simply. Godliness is this. A reverential fear, a reverence of the way God does things. A reverence of the way God does things. So if we do things the way he does things because we believe they're right, it changes everything. It changes our whole life. 
And so we're framing up a wall at a time. We're framing up a wall of virtue and of knowledge and of self-control and of perseverance and now of godliness. We reverence the way God does things. Listen to this. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. He said, Godliness... Reverencing the way God does things, we hate evil. We hate pride. We hate arrogance. We hate a perverse mouth. In other words, godliness is hating what God hates and loving what God loves. He said there's a stability in that that adds to the virtue, the knowledge, self-control, the perseverance, the godliness adds a stability. We're framing up walls. And then we come to this place where we frame up the front wall with the doorway in it. It's called brotherly kindness. It's called brotherly kindness. And the Bible says that Jesus said that they will know that we are his disciples by our love one for another. He's not talking about your love for the world right now, your love for God. He's talking about your love for each and every person in this room. So often the church gets disgruntled, they get offended, they get in unforgiveness because somebody didn't look at them the right way or not look at them the right way. If you're going to build this house that God has called you to build, this abundant life that he's called you to build, guess what? All these people are a part of that. You're going to have to start loving them. You're going to have to start forgiving them. Say, I don't even know them. Well, get to know them and start loving them. Because we're better together than we ever were apart. We have brotherly kindness. We enter into each each other's lives, and we begin to build one another up and encourage one another and exhort one another with love. We exhort one another to good works. That's why we assemble ourselves together. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but edify, exhort, build one another up in the faith. Brotherly kindness. It's like the front wall. Lastly, you got to put the framing, you got to put the rafters on. You put the rafters on, you got the walls standing, they're all braced and everything so they don't fall down, but you put on the top, you put on the rafters, you nail them to the top plate of all the walls, it holds everything together, and it is love, it's God's love. That love, when you put that roof on, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. No matter what storm comes crashing down on that, it sheds the storm, it sheds the snow, it sheds the water, it sheds the storm of life. The love of God is the bond of perfection, the bond of maturity as we grow in God. It's an amazing life. And what we're building is this amazing life. I'm sorry that I went so long today. Hope I didn't put you to sleep. We're building a life that is worthy of the blood of Jesus and what God has for us. But the reason that we're building it and understand it, I'm just putting it in this analogy that you build a house. We're not done building yet, but there's something about this house now that we have the walls up and we're going to furnish the house and we're going to do what God said. But you know, if you're together for this Christmas by chance, probably not just the way things are, but just per chance, somebody comes over You're ready for Christmas and you're sitting there and this person coming over does not know one of your relatives, maybe your father. What's the first thing that you're going to do when they walk into your house? You're going to walk in and say, who's that over there on the couch? Oh, come over here. I'd love for you to meet my dad. This is the one that raised me. 
I love them so much. And they'll greet and say, man, great to meet you. See, we're building this life so that people can be invited into our life. And when people are invited into our life, Paul prayed this in Ephesians 3. He said that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. See, by the Holy Spirit, Christ dwells in us. And when we invite people into our life, the first person that they should see is the one that's like, who is this? Let me introduce you to the one who built this life. His name is Jesus. That's why we want him to build a brand new life. We don't want to have an add-on so that the first place they walk into is the old stuff built out of the old materials. No, let's wipe that out, build a brand new life. And when we invite people into that life, the first introduction about this brand new life that we live is the one who built it, Jesus. Why don't you stand up with me? Thanks for being patient. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we magnify you. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to deal with every heart, every life. What I know is so important. I know so many have been building. You're not finished with them yet. Some today need to have a demo day and not be afraid of losing what they've had because you have so much better. Holy Spirit, deal with each and every heart that we might lay aside the things that are easily besetting us, the things that are continuing to allow destructive things in our life, allow things into our life that don't need to be there. They're not, our building is not secure. The enemy keeps coming in and stealing, killing, and destroying God. Holy Spirit, reveal that to hearts, that we truly might allow you to demo that, that we would crucify that old man, knowing that you'll raise us to a brand new life. God, my heart's desire. I see it in my spirit how each and every one of us can turn the corner and in the midst of whatever's going on and whatever is going to go on in 2021, that we arise to a place of jubilee. The debt's been paid. There's a brand new life. No matter what's going on around us, we rejoice and we have peace and we have the joy and the love of God. We're not weighed down by everything that comes through life. We're the ones that are still standing after the tornado has gone through. Stir hope in each one, a confidence, as Alan said. Let us build our life with the right materials so that it doesn't fall apart in the midst of the storm. Minister to each and every one, I pray. If you're here today, right now God's moving in your heart to say, you know what, I need to build my life with this material. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, we'll pray and he'll begin. If you have known Jesus, but you say, you know, I did an add-on or I started new, but I quit somewhere along the way. And there's just critters living in what we started. And let's all pray this together. And if that's you, pray it from your heart. Say, Father God, come to you this morning. Ready to experience the life that you purchased for me through the blood of Jesus. To die out to the old man and to let you build a brand new life for me. 
So I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I believe you died for my sin. God raised you from the dead so that I could be forgiven. I receive that forgiveness and declare you as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time,